Alexa Curtis. And this week, I've got a really special person in the studio. Two people, actually. A few weeks ago, I had Allison Kay, and I co-hosted with one of my best friends, Alex. She's back. Today with me, we are back at WeWork and not at the recording studio. So I've got Alex here. And I've also got somebody who is pretty much, she does a lot of different things. I guess you would call her an influencer, but she started back in 2012, which is the year after I started my blog. Asia Dang and I met at a USC talk earlier this year, and she does so many things from acting, modeling, YouTube, Instagram. Um, she started a new line she's gonna talk about, and I think one of the things that I really like and respect about her is number one, Nowadays, people who talk about influencers, I think that there's a really negative concept inside to this because so much has changed. And it's really interesting when you meet somebody who genuinely is successful and is also really doing this for passion and she really loves it. So before I get into this, make sure you follow the podcast on social media at, at T-I-L-U podcast, as well as myself at Alexa underscore Curtis. And Asia, thank you so much for being here with Alex and I. No, thanks for having me. I'm glad we finally made it work. I know, me too. Well, <laughs> take us back to the beginning because you started a decent amount of time ago mm -hmm. and you've created a major platform for yourself. But take us back to how you even got into this. So I was going to USC for, um, to get my master's in broadcast journalism, and it was the last year of um, my classes, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, so I was just thinking about like what my ideal television show was, because to me, the ultimate was to always be on network television. Um, so I thought of the sports idea about how I would interview athletes, and they would teach me how to play their sport. So I thought about who, like what network or um, publication would that go towards? And I thought Maxim Magazine, and this was way before they got bought out. So long story short, I started modeling for them, and then I pitched them my television show idea, and then they gave it to me. So from there, I was getting this large following of men, and I was thinking, how do I keep them engaged? Because the show is only being released about once a month. So how can I continue to put out content and increase my visibility uh, while also keeping these guys entertained? Uh, and then I started my YouTube channel. So it was actually very, very different from where it is now. Uh, when I first started, it was very much geared towards men. We talked about dating. We talked about sex. We talked about women, because um, that was just what my platform was at the time. And then that was, I guess, in, what, 26? And then as I got older, now I'm 32, it just, I just didn't want to be that person anymore, that overtly like sexual person. Um, and then throughout that time, I went from Maxim Magazine to uh, Fox Sports and all that stuff, and I realized that network television wasn't really all that it was cracked up to be for me, um, especially when you're hired to do one thing and all the red tape and all you know the higher-ups won't let you do that. It was really draining for me. So that's when I shifted and went totally into YouTube. Um, and not only did I do that, but I also shifted kind of um, who I was, my YouTube persona, to be more female empowerment, more natural beauty, just complete change of what I was doing before. So back in the day, I guess when you were growing up, the word influencer wasn't really a thing. So did you grow no. up thinking you wanted to be, I guess, in the public eye or an actor or... I mean, I wanted a travel show. 
I want it to be Samantha Brown. That's what I want it to be. Um, yeah, I mean, I was in a freshman in college when Facebook just started. Like, that was the first year it came out. And even then, I was like, this is so stupid. But all the cute boys are on it, so I was on it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's totally different. Being an influencer was, quote unquote, influencer. I hate that word. Uh, was never the goal. It's just something that I fell into. So now it's just making it work for me and for what I have to say. We'll get into why we both hate the word influencer in yeah. a bit, but Alex, you went to college. I didn't go to college. And so I'm curious from your perspective, um, if you want to talk, I guess, with her about college and how you think it kind of shaped you and if it shaped you in any way to help you pursue this career in entertainment. Mm -hmm. Well, what did you, what was your major for undergraduate? Marketing. Marketing. Yeah. And then you pursued that with the master's at USC. Yeah, so I went into marketing just because I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do, and that kind of goes into my YouTube about how I talk about student loan debt and stuff, but I was really, really didn't know what I wanted to do, and I just thought, hmm, marketing, like Samantha Jones from Sex and City, like PR, but, you know, totally different, I didn't know, um, and then I interned at uh, Comcast Sportsnet my senior year, and I was like, oh, okay, this is what I want to do. And by that time, you can't really change your major unless you want to spend more time and more money in it. So I just graduated with marketing and spent a year working. And then I decided to go to grad school. So I just applied to USC, and that was the only place I applied to. If, it, if I didn't get in, we would figure it out. But I got in, and I, then I went to get my master's in broadcast journalism. I know that I'm sure this is something that we'll cover later on in the episode, but something that you personally focus on is student debt. Mm -hmm. um, and that said, given the time that you spent in college, not only undergrad, but also grad school, do you think that it was worth it, per se? Do you think that the cost that it, that it, that it took to go to both of these private universities and the time that it's spent, would you would you do it again? I mean, I would never ever say that college is not worth it, um, especially for my journey. Because if I didn't go there, then I wouldn't be literally sitting talking to you guys right now. But yeah, I mean, I have a problem with the fact that it was so expensive, and I have a problem with the fact that, you know, I went to private school all my life from preschool, so I just never knew there was another way. My parents didn't really know, so I definitely hit a major learning curve when it came to how much it is. And, you know, it, it, is it worth it? It's really up to you. I mean, for me, it was worth it just because of where I am now. But when I have kids, we're not doing it this way. Like, we're not going to take out loans. If you want to take a gap year, then go ahead and do that. Figure yourself out first. I don't think it's fair to expect 18-year-old kids to know exactly what they want right out of high school. I don't think it's fair to have them sign over essentially their lives for $30,000, $50,000 of student loans when they don't even know what that means. So I would never, ever tell anyone that college is not worth it, but... Now that, but I do think that there are smarter ways to going about getting an education. Very eloquently said. I, oh, sorry, go no, ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, speaking on that note, um, for somebody who is in that situation where they need to take out a student loan or figure out, for that matter, how to pay back their student loans, what would be your suggestion? What would be your advice to them? Well, I think those are two different questions. Okay. Like if you're 
deciding whether or not you want to take out a student loan, like you really need to understand how crippling it can be if you take out more than you can chew. So for grad school, I took out $100,000. And I didn't know what that meant. And interest rate and all that stuff, I, I did not understand it. And I put it on in forbearance, and I didn't pay it off. And you know, when I started my debt-free journey two years ago, I, at that point, I accumulated $50,000 of interest on top of $100,000 I already took out. So it, you just need to really understand what it means when you take out debt. And I have a lot of people now asking me, like, I'm about to graduate, or I took out a loan, I'm in school, what do I do? And I just tell them, you need to work. Like, you have a grace period after you graduate where there's no interest or anything. Throughout college, you need to work your butt off and save up as much as you can to tackle that amount immediately. And if you're already graduated and you're starting to pay off the loans, it's one, you work hard. Like, I, I don't sleep. I'm constantly tired. But also, you, you have to budget. And you need to really be honest with yourself about how much you owe. Because for a long time, I ignored it. I did not know how much I owed between grad school and undergrad. I just kind of guessed and did the minimum payments, which are the worst idea ever. Like, you always want to pay more than your minimum payment every single month. Um, but yeah, you just need to be honest with yourself and set a goal. Like, when do you want to be debt-free? And if it's, you know, for me, it was four years, but now that I'm making more money, it's down to two. I should be debt-free by this, the end of the year. Amazing. Thanks. I know. It's been really stressful, but I'm, like, really excited to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But it's just, then you work your butt off and you stick to a plan. And for me, that plan is to just pay off my debt as quickly as possible so I can move on with my life. It gives me anxiety to even think about being that much in debt, but that Mm -hmm. must be what millions of kids across the country are dealing with. So when you said you know, you wouldn't do it this way, how would you advise your kids to do it? Would you say community college? I would say, I would say definitely community college is a great option, especially for the two years. Like, you don't have to, well, I actually don't know how community college works, but I assume that you would just go for the first two years and then transfer to, a, like, four-year university and graduate from there. Um, but also, like, you don't have to go to college immediately. Like, I... If I were to do it differently, if anything, I would just take a year off and travel or work or figure out what I wanted to do without the pressure of these stupid like core classes that I don't even use now. So definitely take a year off, definitely community college, and then definitely work and save up for you know graduation. So you went from being a Maxim model mm-hmm. to having a TV show mm-hmm. to then deciding to get out of that show. Talk more about how you decided to leave that because the corporate entertainment world is something so different from doing what you do now, which is completely on your own. Mm-hmm. Well, I think when I first had my show with Maxim, it was it was online. So it was very much similar to you know YouTube in the sense where it was just me and three other guys. It was very small. We didn't have to answer to anyone. We chose who we wanted to shoot with. We chose when we wanted to shoot, and we chose the content that we wanted to put out. And then when I moved from Maxim to Fox Sports, it was 
very different to the point where I like did not care to go to work and I've never felt that way before in my life ever but it just it was different because the freedom that we had at Maxim online was taken away as soon as I signed on with Fox and I was only there for probably half a year and I left because it just wasn't worth it anymore and I realized that what I needed was freedom like being that's what YouTube is amazing about is that I wanted to be on camera just give me a camera that's all I needed and they took that excitement away from me because they wouldn't let me do what I wanted so exiting that situation was actually a very easy decision what was your role title there um on camera host we had a show I believe it was called like at the buzzer, I don't know if it's on anymore now, but yeah, it was it was online quick content. But to me, they wouldn't let me say what I wanted to say. Every script I wrote, wrote was too quote unquote edgy. They didn't want to offend anyone. But then why do online content? If you're just gonna do network content, yeah. then why are you online? So after deciding to leave there, you said you were there for about six months. Maybe, yeah. And then did you decide, like, you wanted to pursue other kind of networks, or were you like, I want to do this just for my own health? I was so over network television, like, very quickly. And, again, especially because I my first experience in, I guess, quote-unquote television was with Maxim, we had just so much freedom, and I just wanted that. And um, at this point, my YouTube channel was already growing. So I decided to just see where that went. And then now I don't have to worry about that anymore. Was there one kind of thing that catapulted you into the YouTube space? You know, was it like a video that went viral or how did you realize that you could make a living off of that? Um, well, my first viral video was my Robin Thick parody. Um, but I didn't make any money off of that because it was a parody. So they take all those rights and stuff. But essentially all my natural makeup videos was what really catapulted me into the female space um, versus I, I, I have a lot of, actually half of my subscribers are still men, but now they have their girlfriends watching me, which is really cool. So it was first starting off with the natural makeup and like Korean beauty skincare. And then what really catapulted me was me talking about my student loan debt. One of your most popular YouTube videos was the bikini haul that has amassed over 3 million views. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, um, that would be my nail following. I couldn't help but notice that the comments were disabled for the video given, mm -hmm. unfortunately, the inappropriate mm -hmm. and just dirty remarks that men were leaving. Yeah. Um, two questions. One, what made you decide to move forward with censoring the comments for that video? And then... A follow-up, how did you and how do you contend with or deal with the inappropriate comments that I'm sure you receive on a daily basis, whether it's your YouTube, your Instagram, your Facebook, whatever outlet that may be? Mm -hmm. Well, to answer them both in one answer is I don't, I don't, I, I'm trying to say this without swearing, but um, Go for I, it. Go for uh, it. I don't, I don't but deal with that shit. shit. Yeah. Um, there was a time where I, it wouldn't bother me, but now, especially that I have younger women subscribe to me, that that does not fly. So to delete a comment is very easy for me. To disable that comment section was very easy for me because you can only take so much. 
And I didn't realize that had three million views, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, you have to, what, like, what do you stand for? To me, I don't, I don't allow guys to walk all over me with sexist comments. So to delete stuff like that and to disable stuff like that is a no-brainer. That's really interesting. So when it came then to deciding kind of what other content and stuff to put out there, I feel like you've shifted, I guess, more into doing the beauty and talking about debt, more than kind of the parody stuff. Was that for any specific reason, or was that just more of whatever you were dealing with personally? Honestly, parodies are, I love doing parodies, but they're really hard, and they're really expensive. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, it's, my, my channel, especially my YouTube channel, is very much a where I am now and how I'm feeling. So that's why now a lot of it is debt, because that's where I am in my life now. And before, it was a lot of beauty and skincare, because that's what I cared about at that time. So now it's just finding a balance between everything that is, it, it's really hard because there's a lot of people when I first started that are like, you know, what's your lane? Like, what, what is your one thing that you do well? And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't like makeup. I hate wearing makeup. Skincare is cool. Like, I really like skincare. Clothes, I hate spending money on clothes. So it's like everything that, uh, you know, Asian YouTuber should be about, I was not into. So that's why it's, for me, it's taken me a really long time to grow because I don't have a lane. I don't have that one thing that people can go to. Well, now I do because it's debt, but before it wasn't like, like Jen M, she started off doing, you know, thrifts or, you know, whatever. And I just, that I, I tried to do it and it came off very unauthentic. And now I'm old enough to not do things that I don't want to do. So, yeah, it, it's, it takes, YouTube is hard because it's a balance between what your audience wants but also what you want to do. For kids who are listening or even just look up to you in general and are like, this is their end goal, they want to be an influencer, a blogger, or a YouTuber, do you say, like, I mean, not, not go for it, but are you, like, would you enforce your kids to, to, to make a career out of one of those three? Uh, no. I don't think that this is a career. I think it's a stepping stone to do more. And for a lot of people, it is a career. I mean, all the young kids now, that's what they want. And cool, but do you really want to be posting vlogs at 40? Like, is that really what you want your career to be? So for me, I, I never viewed this as a career. It was always a stepping stone to do something else. And that something else has always changed as I've gotten older so when people say like what do you want to be like where do you want to be in five years I don't have that answer because every year I think I know and then by the end of that year my mindset has changed so yeah I mean if you want to do this then cool do it it's not that easy as everyone thinks like the places YouTube and Instagram is so saturated now so you have to have some kind of you either have to do you know, the viral videos, the daily vlogs, or you have to have your own opinion. To me, that's what would make a successful vlog at this point. Moving on with, in, in, sorry, to focus more on your nearly half a million, I think you're at subscribers on YouTube or something like 400,000. What would you attribute that growth to in particular? Is it something that you uniquely have brought to the table mm -hmm. or would you say it's something having to do with potentially the parodies? Um, 
the parodies get a lot of views, but I don't get a lot of subscribers from that. But I think it's just my honesty and my rawness and my realness is what people follow me for. Because um, they know when I post a video, I swearing warning, it's not full of shit. Um, and that comes across in you know, my finance blogs. Like I'm very transparent as to what I make every month. So there's a lot of people out there that do top five ways to save money, but they're only doing that for views. You know, and you can tell very quickly about whether they're authentic about it or not. And for me, that's why I post my budget every month. That's why I post how much I spend. That's why I post what I make. Every one of my followers knows exactly what I make every month. Because in order for me to be authentic about my process, they need to know what's coming in and what's going out. I'm really curious in terms of, you know, when you started to now, I feel like there are so many people who are not in this space or call themselves quote-unquote influencers, whatever, and it's not for the right reason. And mm -hmm. when you can, even just immediately meeting you, you have that authentic personality that a lot of people don't necessarily have. So my question is, why do you think that now there's this obsession with becoming viral or famous for talking about like anxiety, body image, depression, mm. when in reality so many of those people in real life are not abiding by the same rules they're preaching. Yeah, girl. I mean, that's why it makes me, <laughs> that makes me so mad. And that's why I'm really vocal about things that I'm passionate about because I'm authentic about it. And it really does make me mad because now you're seeing this like trend of coming out videos or this trend of let's talk about my boyfriend cheating on me videos. This trend, it's, it, it makes me really mad because I don't, not to say that they're not going through anything because I would never accuse anyone of lying about being depressed. But I also know that putting your life out there like that isn't necessarily healthy for you. Because I've done that. When I first you know, had my channel, I was 100% like my boyfriend cheated, me, cheated on me. And I talked about it. And I immediately regretted it. Because now that follows me. And I would never talk about my relationship in that terms ever again. Because I know that um, that's something I just don't want out there. So it, it's hard. I mean, it makes me mad especially because I'm, in my view, very authentic. Um, I just don't want people that have millions of followers to continue to do things that are quote-unquote trendy when they're not actually going through that because I feel like sometimes maybe they'll give advice that's not necessarily the healthiest. Um, so, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I, you can't stop it. No, I agree 100%. Yeah. And I think it's really frustrating, especially when, you know, you've been in this field for so long, and, and I have too, and you've been able to witness so much. Mm -hmm. And then there's, I think, a lot of frustration from my end. You know, I don't have the following that you have. And there's a lot of frustration when I feel like there's so many people out there who are so not authentic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was one video or one post about their boyfriend cheating on them or something just completely unnecessary to post on the internet and that's what set them off but I guess would you agree that sometimes I think the quicker you come up the quicker you come down like sometimes with people it's hard to create a 
a company off of that one video for these other people who are doing this. Totally. I mean, it's definitely, again, it's just like the long-term goal. If your goal really is to just make a whole bunch of money and gain a whole bunch of followers, then cool. But yeah, if you want to build a business, you talking about your sex life online is probably not the best way to go about that. Have you posted anything ever that you really feel like helped kind of set you apart? Besides the death videos, was there any video? I mean, I know you mentioned like your boyfriend cheated on you posted about mm-hmm. that, which isn't a video I've seen. Um, but you know, is there any other videos that kind of you feel like your fans really associated with? Yeah, I do a lot about body issues. So I talk about my cellulite. I talk about my stretch marks. And those are the videos that I think are really important to talk about in a way where I'm actually showing you my stomach. I'm showing you my stretch marks on my butt and my cellulite on my thighs. And to me, it's easy for me to do because I'm older now to where I'm not insecure about it, so I can share it. Um, But seeing seeing someone online that's so comfortable in their body, I think is really important. Um, and it's hard because, you know, when you were a model, like people will always say, well, you're, you're skinny. Like, why are you complaining about your cellulite? Well, now you're just body shaming me. So back off. I'm doing what I think is important to my followers to let them know that even though I am quote unquote skinny, I still have stretch marks. I still have cellulite. So it's a mixture between the body positivity and like body honesty, I guess. Oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. and then, yeah, the budget videos. Yeah, I, I'm curious, did you see what happened with, I know you was with the something navy and Amanda Seyfried, and this blogger posted this picture. It was like viral like a few days ago. Um, are you familiar with her? Mm-mm. She's, I, um, she has a clothing lane, Ariel Chaherna? Chakra, something. Mm-hmm. And she's Charna. just got a million followers. And I mean, she posted this picture that was, um, like a slightly underweight picture, but just her body. They basically saying like I'm, I'm, you know, look how, baby look how good mm-hmm. I look, post baby. And Amanda Seyfried, who's the actress, mm-hmm. called her out. I, I don't even know. They don't even follow each other or anything. Basically, being like, how dare you say this and be so narcissistic and self-absorbed to people who follow you? Um, and it's you know she's noticeably underweight. However, I feel like I'm on the brink of that in itself is body shaming. Mm-hmm. You know, this girl is free on her platform to post whatever she wants. If you feel uncomfortable, you unfollow. Totally. You don't yeah. shame back. Yeah. So I don't know, how, how do you go about that? Or how would you advise somebody else who may be struggling with that? Even with somebody like in high school or college, it doesn't have to be a celebrity calling them out. Um, in terms of? Dealing with like BS. Oh, yeah. For both sides. I think there was some wrong on both sides of what happened there. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, just unfollow. For me, I went through a a really, when I, every time I feel bad about myself, it always comes down to social media. So when I do that, I go through a phase of unfollowing people who make me feel bad about myself. So there was this one blogger, and she's huge, but she posted on stories a beginning weight before her cleanse, and it was 110 pounds. And immediately I was like, that's not the right thing to say to girls. Like, you're 110 pounds, and if you want to go on a cleanse, cool. Like, I get that sometimes we're like, we need a good cleanse, but don't post your weight if you're very much not heavy. So for you to tell, like, 
if you're 110 pounds and you're like complaining about your weight and you're complaining about the cleanse you're going to go on to, to me, that's telling your followers that even at 110, you're fat and that will cause body issues. And I, I, w- I was really surprised that she did that, but I followed her immediately because she made me feel bad. Like right. I'm 125, 30 pounds. Should I be going on a cleanse now? Like, should I feel bad about my body? Right. She was just sending the yeah, she was sending the wrong message. So it's like, yeah, definitely unfollow people that make you feel bad about about yourself. But also in terms of that, like if you feel offended by a poster picture, there are right and wrong ways to go about handling that situation. So, I mean, totally, totally unrelated. But last night I was on Facebook and I'm a part of this like rescue dog Facebook page and this girl was trying to essentially sell her dog that she bought from a breeder for $1,500 because she was allergic and I'm a proponent of adoption pet adoption and I don't like breeders so the comment section was attacking her right I mean not rightfully so but there's very much people who are passionate about adoption but for me I, I told her I was like Listen, I understand this comment section as a proponent of pet adoption. I, too, feel the same way they feel, but I'm sorry that you're being attacked because I know that this is not a good situation from you no matter where you got your dog from. You know, you're giving up some, something that you love, and I'm here to help you no matter what, and hopefully now you can understand the reasons why people are upset, and next time you want to hopefully adopt a dog, you do it in a way that, you know, is ethical, I guess. So there are right and wrong ways to approach being offended by a post. And also know, are you truly offended or are you offended because the other people in the comment section are offended, which is a huge thing these days and it's so annoying. Well, that goes into even kind of saturation. I feel like in the marketplace is that now people don't really find the need to have their own ideas because they can kind of just take other people's. Or Mm -hmm. you you see all these designers who are like taking Kim Kardashian's clothing lines and stuff. But in a sense, do you think some of those posts that are just so completely offensive, potentially, especially to young women, especially with body images, there's some angle of narcissism here with people who have these major followings and are so unaware of the platform that they have? Mm-hmm. 100%. And that's what I was actually talking about this on my podcast. It's about body image, and it's just, um, to me, really upsetting that the largest people on the internet to me don't seem to be doing their job with their following to promote anything other than themselves be it body issue being be it you know environmental issues or anything that's going on in the world that's what makes me really really mad is when people who have millions of followers don't use it for good outside of promoting themselves. So then why do you think that they have so many fans? I'm always curious by that because I'll see mm-hmm. a post and I'll be like, this is so terrible. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to unfollow or something. But, you know, these are the people that have millions of fans and millions of dollars. Where is this line between like, real life and social media and, like, actually nice, genuine people who care versus just want money and fame? Girl, if I knew how they got their millions of following, I would be right there with you. It's, I think a lot of it is they started a long, long time ago. Like, to me, I started YouTube and Instagram very late. Um, 
compared to, I'm thinking of like the Timmy De La Ghettos who started right when YouTube hit. So there was no one else there. But also, yeah, I think it's, you're so popular and you have so much money that your view of the world is just tainted. And you're surrounded by so many yes men that you don't really know what is right and wrong or good and bad. To the people who are listening, I mean, you have so many followers, so you have created such a major following too, and it could have been so easy for you to just be like posting your body and mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff, which you don't do, which just goes to kind of show your authenticity. Well, I did. Yeah. I did. I did. It, it's but also because I'm... I feel like that was in a different way. It wasn't yeah. like, you know, here's me with like a bottle of vodka. Like, oh, yeah. That yeah, yeah. stuff from multiple people now who have millions of followers you mm. see quite often. Mm -hmm. I mean, also, I'm older. Like, when you're in your 30s, things matter more. So it, it's hard for me to... It's finding this balance between being really upset about people with millions of followers that don't do anything to better the world, but also trying to understand that most of them are probably very young. Mm -hmm. So they'll have to just figure it out, I guess, as, as they get older. And make different decisions, like you said. I mean, when you're 40, do you really want to be posting like videos of you partying on? Yeah. Like, like, no. I'm curious, at the beginning of your career, did you deal with any rejection? I talk a lot about that, and so many young people, not even in entertainment, deal with different jobs and stuff. But, mm -hmm. I mean, was that something that you struggled with, especially trying to break into entertainment? Um... I mean, yes and no. I think I think for me, it's like, of course, when you're in LA and you're going on auditions, you're gonna get a thousand million no's before you get that one yes. But also, it's it, for me, it came more so. The rejections came from me being Asian versus really anything else. So that's why my Maxim show ended actually because the magazine got bought out and the new owner just wanted white girls. So that's why I left. But I mean, anything that you come across, there will always be those disappointments. And what matters is how you turn that into one, a learning experience and then a growing experience. How did they tell you that? the magazine and the show. And oh, I just, uh, we just got fired. Oh, wow. And then we found out, I don't even know how I found out, but yeah, it, it's just, you know, race. Yeah. No and biggie. And it's, no, but in entertainment, yeah. that's a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And now there's not as much talk about it because everything I feel like happens so now behind the scenes, unless it's like me too, when you get called out on it, mm -hmm. this stuff is happening all the time. But now you live in downtown with your boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And he's also have has a huge social media following. I mean, how is that dynamic? Yeah. How is that flow? Yeah, what do you consider? We were looking on his page before you came in, like video stuff he does, right? Yeah, he's okay. a choreographer. Okay. Mm -hmm. And how did you guys meet? I mean, how is that dynamic between like two people with massive Instagram mm -hmm. following? It's, well, we met very, you know, YouTube LA, but we met with, um, we met from, we, we were at the club and then we were introduced via Andrew Garcia, who's another like musician on YouTube. And then, I mean, we've been dating for six years and it's just, it's, it's different because he's a choreographer. So his job isn't actually Instagram or YouTube. It's 
choreographing for himself, it's choreographing for J-pop and K-pop groups or whoever. So Instagram, although he does have a major following, it's not where he makes his money, um, which is the opposite of me. So it's really cool because for me, he's obviously very creative. So we bounce each other, we bounce ideas off of each other very well. And he helps me, you know, design my clothing line. He helps, you know, with um, video ideas. And definitely when I need advice, he's one of the people I go to for sure. What is a day in the life for you like? And tell us about the clothing line too. But first, Mm -hmm. how do you explain what you do? (laughs) I just tell people that I work in social media. And if they want to know more, then I just tell them I work with brands to promote what whatever it is they want and I talk about things that are important to me online and normally that like they get the point but to my parents they my grandma has no idea what I do my parents are so confused but that's that's what I say I hate the term influencer I why do you hate that term I think that because when I think influencer I think 19 year old privileged white dude with a million followers and I don't want to be associated with that because to me I bring way more to the table to that so I avoid creator I avoid influencer I just say I work in social media that's like the easiest thing for me to do but a day in the life is um well I do many videos about this but I I wake up I go work out and then basically that's when the day starts and I edit or shoot shoot content whether it's video or photo I do everything myself which is really exhausting. So I edit everything. I don't have an assistant. Um, and then I'm usually editing most of the day because editing takes hours. It's the worst. So it's a mixture between shooting, editing, walking my dogs, and somewhere in the day eating. And how then I go you, to sleep. How do you balance it? And you are, you're saying you're completely doing it on your own. Mm-hmm. So how do you find that balance between, especially when it comes to social media, I mean, your life is your phone. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you deal with that? Um, my planner is my best friend. It's when I don't have things scheduled out, it's really easy for me to get overwhelmed. And also I take the weekend off or at least from being on my phone, just in general, like if I have to edit or shoot, then whatever. But, um, I'm usually pretty quiet on the weekends on Instagram and stuff. You saw Gary V at, I think USC, right? Do you know Gary V? And, uh, I feel like nowadays there's this obsession with hustle culture and like you should always be working 24-7 and like if you're not famous, you suck and all this stuff. And you mentioned that you walked away from it in a sense, I think you had said you, you felt like maybe he was a little preachy about that topic and I've heard other people say I that know him, before. but I don't actually know his teaching, yeah. so. Well, it, he spoke at an entrepreneur class. I saw him once when I was actually an undergrad at USC and then I came back because I was invited by my teacher to go and see him talk to the class again. And the first time I was really inspired, felt super blown away by what he had to say, you know, work hard, work hard, work hard. And I don't know if it's the years that went by that maybe changed my opinion or maybe his actual messaging has changed, but I felt like his emphasis was all on hustling and doing whatever it takes. And I totally respect that. And I think that it's true in order to stand out and be successful, especially in such a saturated market, Mm -hmm. whatever market you do go into, there is a need for you to rise above um and I remember speaking with this about Alexa and her being also in a way super 
disappointed or turned off by this messaging because she thinks that with all the pressure that society has, um, you know, especially when it comes to younger people and millennials, that this might not necessarily be the right messaging to move forward with. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I, I... This happened last year, actually. I was working so hard, that hustle thing, that I actually, um, like, broke myself down. So that's why I'm very now keen on balance. And it's hard because, yeah, you see all these people and you want to make moves, and especially in L.A., where nothing is ever good enough. You're always wanting to one-up people. It's really hard to step back and, you know, take take, I guess, feel how your body is. But yeah, now I'm, I'm listening to my body. So when it's tired, I stop. Or when it's stressed out, I take a nap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's really important to find that balance because being stressed out is, to me, the worst. You can't get anything done. Speaking of balance, um, I know this is something we touched upon a little bit earlier, but I think it's interesting how with social media, it's so easy to put everything in your life online. Mm-hmm. How do you, what is that hard line for you between should I post this and should I not? And what to share with your followers on the different platforms that you use? I post, I'm, I post a lot about myself online, but to me, there's a purpose to it. It's not just, I don't know. It, it, when I am honest about what I'm going through whether it's maybe I'm just like feeling bad or maybe I feel like I look really cute today or you know I'm still in debt um there's a purpose behind it and it's always to make people not feel like what they're going through is they're not going through anything by themselves like anything that they're going through I guarantee you a million other people are going through the same thing so that's my purpose in being so honest and raw about certain things, but I will definitely not talk about um, my relationship, which is funny because Brian's always in my videos, and I mean, people know that we're together, but when it comes to, you know, if we were to break up or anything were to happen, I think I'd keep that pretty quiet. I think that's good because that's a huge part of finding that balance as well, and you've made a brand off of yourself. Mm -hmm. So to the outside to the public who I guess, you know, would get upset if you weren't necessarily posting about it or like wanted to know what happened. People forget that like you are a human. Yeah. And that it's really none of their business. Yeah. Yeah. This is your job at Mm -hmm. the end of the day. Like you're still a person. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you feel like sometimes it's hard to kind of separate that of feeling like, like you said, especially in LA, you're never good enough. Nothing's ever good enough. Even when you have millions of followers, it's like you still feel unworthy. Mm -hmm. Is it hard sometimes to kind of remind yourself that like, this is just a job? Like, you love it, and it's your life. Totally. So, you know, there is more sometimes out there than just working. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I think now it's just, I think I'm in a place where I'm just really happy with my life. And, of course, it's just, obviously, there's daily stresses and things that go wrong. But overall, I think I'm in a really healthy spot. And I think that is because I don't get... A lot of things that used to bother me don't anymore. And whether that's like, you know, mentally or physically or what the next person next to me is doing, um, 
I think that just comes with age. Like things that used to be a big deal in your 20s are not even on your radar anymore in your 30s. And that um, definitely gives me peace of mind. You mentioned a clothing line. Mm -hmm. So what is your end goal? Like where would you like to see yourself in, in theory in like five or 10 years? Well, end of the year. <laughs> I know. Well, the clothing line, it's um, uh, Brian, my boyfriend, always said, like, he has a clothing line. He's very much an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, so he's always been pushing me to do this. But for me, I needed a purpose. Like, I never just wanted to put out clothes, like, merch and make money off of that. Like, I don't, I don't care. Um, so everything now, um, I don't, I wouldn't, I guess my brand, but everything I put out now has a purpose. So I first launched my um, Women's Worth collection where proceeds went to Planned Parenthood. And now my next collection is going to go towards some kind of animal rescue. So there's always going to be a purpose behind my merchandise in terms of like what I'm passionate about and I know what my followers are passionate about. And the cool thing is, is that um, like for Planned Parenthood, I have a lot of followers who are pro-life. And they were very honest, like, I love you, I support you, but I can't buy this. And it's having that conversation of, I totally understand, and I appreciate you stick, still sticking around and letting me know, um, maybe next time. So it's kind of having that conversation with your followers and, like, having them be comfortable enough to tell you that they don't agree with your opinion, but they still uh, respect you, I think is really cool. And in terms of, like, the end of the year, it's like, one, I want to be out of debt. That would be cool. And two, that's all I'm really thinking about. So <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and I love that you said that about your fans, too, because, you know, especially donating to something like Planned Parenthood, which is I'm so for mm -hmm. that, a thousand percent. Such an important cause. So important. And it's, it's disappointing that, you know, some people wouldn't necessarily buy mm -hmm. stuff from you because yeah. that's what you're donating to. But, but it's, it's cool that they're so... Open about uh, it and yeah. mature. Yeah. I feel like that's really quite rare like it could be twisted the other way to be so much more of like a what's wrong with you why would you do that and if they're standing by you I mean that's like mm -hmm. that's really kind of truly great right there but yeah. from a branding standpoint too I mean for for people who are listening and it's like they start an Instagram page and you know I talked to a lot of kids it was like they have 500 Instagram followers and they're like I'm not making money like how do I do this like what's wrong I, what like half the time I'm just oh gosh like you need give to come back in like 15 years yeah it's not working like let's talk but like what do you tell these kids? Or who? what would you tell the kids who are listening? <laughs> you are in for a rude awakening <laughs> if you think you're going to make any money for the first couple years. I mean, there's those people who blow up like that. And to me, I don't understand it, but good for them. But yeah, I mean, we were talking about this earlier. I started my channel in 2012, and I didn't start making enough money to make a living off of YouTube until about four years ago. And it's all about consistency. And it's to me all about what are you trying to say? Like, what is your purpose? Why do you want to have a voice? And I think that's kind of just like me being like an older sister or something, but it's social media to me is less about being popular than it is about sharing a message. And it's probably not what you want to hear because you can't really make a lot of money if you're not that popular, but that to me is, is more important. And also, oh, I was just going to say, you definitely accomplished that 
evidenced by this interaction that you're able to have with your followers who were clearly so open with you and you very understanding of them. I mean, I think that that's very special and that's not something that a lot of people can say Mm -hmm. their rapport is like with their followers. Thank you. And also that consistency, I mean, like you said right there, if you want to make it in this world, in my opinion, you just, you can't take no for an answer. Mm -hmm. And most people will take no for an answer because it's too effing difficult to not sometimes. Yeah. And so I feel like if you are doing this for X amount of years, you will eventually become successful because like, if you're that kind of person, you just won't let yourself not be. You know I, mean, what I mean, yeah, that's with anything though. Yeah. It's all about persistence. 100%. But especially in social media. Yeah. Like, you have to, I think it's really hard to remember that things normally don't happen overnight. Like, it's very rare for you to be very popular overnight. And it can be frustrating when you don't see that growth or even, like, I've been at, my following on Instagram has not changed in probably about six months. And for someone who makes a living off of Instagram, that can be very frustrating. But yeah, it is what it is. You know, I'm not going to bend over backwards to understand the algorithm or to, I'm not going to pay for followers or anything. Like, or change who you are. Yeah, or change who I am. Right. It's just not worth it to me. So if I'm just going to continue on my path and go at my pace and um, hopefully at the end of the day people and brands will appreciate that and the crazy thing about this world in any industry is tomorrow you could be at 10 million or tomorrow they could shut down Instagram yep None of us <laughs> I know what are we going to do <laughs> but you have the world off of Instagram and that's what's so important to remember you're not just posting a picture like hoping that's your next dollar you have actual things off of the internet that truly matter to you mm-hmm. um, I, I, that was my last question you have anything else you can think of? Well, where can everyone find you on social media? Everything is just Asia Dang, A-J-A-D-A-N-G. I have YouTube and Instagram I'm mostly on. And then I'll be probably, hopefully, uh, releasing my new merchandise merchandise line, uh, benefiting an animal shelter, which I haven't really decided which one yet, but hopefully within the next month or so. So. And quick, by. quick follow-up, subscribe to her YouTube YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. Because she will likely be posting a parody video. Yes. To, to memorialize the Promote. launch of her, yep. oh, launch of her new merch. Oh, God. Yes. So subscribe and follow. <laughs> and so we'll put everything below, as we always do, for our guests. And Alex, where can everyone find you on social media? A-L-L-I-P-S. Well, guys, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for stopping by and for being so authentic when quite so many people out there aren't. And make sure to subscribe on the podcast store, and we're available on literally every streaming platform from Stitcher to Spotify to SoundCloud by just typing in This Is Life Unfiltered. And we'll see you guys next week. For-